It's not a product, it's a technology. It's an education challenge. A regenerative suspension? There will be a growing demand for industrial photovoltaics. Innovation in the financing space. The high-speed train is in all our interests. All political lines. Australia is a solar paradise. The market is moving much faster than that. You've got something that's transformational. Solar window in a can. Beyond Zero, global warming science, solutions and action. Taking it to a do-it-yourself level. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Beyond Zero show. We're coming to you from the studios of 3CR in Melbourne and syndicated around Australia on the Community Radio Network. Both the community and this show are podcast at 3CR immediately and after a short delay at bze.org.au and on iTunes and Stitcher. Please subscribe and rate us as it helps others find the show. My name's Michael Steinel. I'm joined today by my co-host Kay Winnigal. Hi Mike. Hi listeners. And Natalie Bucknell. Hello everyone. G'day guys. We're all feeling very flat about the federal election results, understandably. But, as usual, the best antidote to despair is action, and BZE comes to the fore with its solution-based plans to get to zero emissions whilst generating jobs and wealth for communities around Australia. Last year we explored the gas fracking calamity that is about to fall on the Northern Territory. In the meantime, Beyond Zero Emissions and the Environment Centre Northern Territory are working on a plan to see the Northern Territory generate enough renewable energy to fuel export industries. And we're really lucky to have here today to explain the latest of, of what's happening with Eitan Lenko, who as well as being chair of the BZE board, has an engineering science degrees and is a technology entrepreneur. Hi Eitan, thanks for joining us. Hello, thanks for having me. Firstly Eitan, you spent the last <laughs> year in Darwin right in the thick of it. You've been following the developments with the gas fracking in the Northern Church. So could you tell us where things currently stand? Yeah, so I I'm, had the uh, lucky opportunity to live up in Darwin last year for the year. And as I got there, it seemed like everyone was talking about fracking and I was trying to understand what was going on. And what was happening was that the government had a, a moratorium and they were running the scientific inquiry into fracking to see what they would do. And actually the inquiry was was... I think really well run and if you read the inquiry it goes through in great great detail what the risks are the level of emissions that, that fracking would produce the um the danger to water the lack of social license for fracking and then you get to the end and the recommendation is well you know that'll all be fine as long as we stick to best practice and it shouldn't shouldn't be a problem so just one of those reports where the recommendation didn't really match the the rest of the report and, so and, and concerning was that best practice was something that Australia's never achieved Correct, and the Northern Territory itself, you know, has a, has a terrible record of environmental issues with mines and and um, extraction projects. So, and at the same time, you had the winding down of a lot of gas infrastructure projects, the construction phase of infrastructure projects, which was hitting the economy really hard up there. So there was a huge amount of pressure, community pressure for for jobs and and stimulus to the economy. So, you know, all, all these things were kind of, kind of led to to um, the government lifting the moratorium on fracking and the situation where there is now is that you've got you know the Beedaloo Basin which is the most likely location for fracking to occur in the Northern Territory and the license there is owned by Origin Energy and they're currently looking at how they can begin um, exploration over there. Meanwhile the government had out of their report you know good hundreds of, of recommendations I think 130 or something 135 yeah. recommendations and they've been going through how they can implement all of those recommendations and, you know... And they're up to 35, I think. Yeah, and there's <laughs> <laughs> some number. 
yeah. And there's recommendations in there about you know needing the the, the need to offset any emissions that are occur, and you know I think there's a lot of pressure on the government there to kind of fudge those. So the scientific report says there's these 135 conditions we have to meet. And, and to, the make, to make it safe, non-territory government agreed to all of them, and okay. and then they say, uh, yeah, but she'll be right. Let's go for it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, which is frustrating. And, and um, obviously, I, I was there, you know, new new to the community, speaking, meeting meeting new people, talking to them about what they thought of fracking, and the message I got back was, you know, that generally the the, the community up there really doesn't like the idea of fracking. I mean, the, obviously, the, the Indigenous community is dead set against it, but even the people who live in Darwin and other members of the community didn't feel great about it, but their feedback was, you know, the economy's tanking here. You know, we need the economic growth to come from somewhere. We need jobs to come from somewhere. And that's what they were hearing from the government as where it was going to come from, even though in the report it was pretty clear that there weren't very many jobs and not a huge <laughs> amount of um, revenue to the economy from it. <laughs> And offsetting emissions generated by fracking could cost up to $4.3 billion a year when the shale gas industry is in full production, according to the Australia Institute. So to put that in perspective, it could contribute to about 4.5% of Australian greenhouse gas emissions and 0.05% of um, emissions globally. That's what TAI found. And that comes as Australia's greenhouse emissions have risen by 0.9% last year, and that's fueled mainly because of the 19.7% increase in LNG exports. So is the government, the Northern Territory government actually addressing it? And if they are, how are they doing that? Yeah, and I think those numbers that you said, I mean, the, the Northern Territory government's own report says that under the scenario where fracking really goes ahead full steam mm-hmm. in the Beedaloo Basin, the local component of that alone would raise Australia's emissions, total emissions, by 6.6%. So it's a huge, it'd be a huge source. And like you say, the gas industry, the LNG industry is the fastest growing source of emissions in Australia. So we're fighting not to start the Adani mine, but this is multiple times. Yeah, I think this is, um, it's been calculated seven times, seven Adani mines, seven of the original proposed Adani mines level of, of, of emissions. So the Northern Territory government doesn't have an emissions reductions target. They do have a 50% renewables target, but the total electrical grid there is only one gigawatt so they're really talking about building 500 megawatts of renewables and it's by 2030 and you know i think we know there's individual projects now that are more than 500 yeah. megawatts so not, not a particularly ambitious target no. and if you compare the amount of emissions abated by that 500 megawatts of renewables compared to what fracking would unlock i mean if you put those that into a stack chart or a bar chart and put the two bars next to each other the the renewables target is like just a tiny sliver down the bottom that you can barely even see so hey donna you've possibly already referred to it what's the push for the fracking is it just that the economics are so bad up there or is it more the mining companies both yeah there's a few things i mean that the gas lobby is extremely powerful in northern territory i mean they've got a full-time office there when you go to meet Government ministers, they're very surprised <laughs> almost to meet someone that's that's not pushing the, the line on gas. You know, every trip, when I did a trip away from Darwin, you know, whether it was to Melbourne or, or Sydney or Brisbane, it seemed like every everyone else in the plane was had their laptops out and were working on their gas industry presentations. So there's just a huge oh, amount of lobbying and, and effort going on up there. Pressure. Obviously, the federal government's also very supportive of the gas industry and, and you know, put a lot of pressure on the on the local on the on the state government on the territory government 
But yeah, there is also this this feeling that the economy is in a decline, people are leaving, the, the, the budget is in a dire situation, and they're really just looking for anything. And that's mm-hmm. kind of what they know. So that's, you know, there's not a lot of imagination. They're like, let's just do more of the same, even though that's what's caused a lot of the pain in the first place. Yeah, so it's not just in decline. The Northern Territory government is broke, as far as I understand it. And I imagine that's partly to do with the last mining boom, because when you go through these boom bust cycles, and the last mining boom generate or had about a four hundred billion dollar investment and about two hundred thousand dollars jobs, that's all gone now, and people have all left. Houses are empty. There's nothing there. Surely that must really um, affect a community both economically and socially. It must be yeah. devastating. I like to think of it as almost like Stockholm Syndrome. You know, People are kind of locked into this paradigm even though it's causing them pain and then they kind of keep asking for more of it. So you know, the Northern Territory is a great example of that. There was, there's a huge LNG pro- processing plant that was built in Darwin at a cost of over $50 billion, so a huge amount of investment into the Northern Territory. It was 8,000 jobs over the construction phase. Uh, when, when, when it was first announced, people thought this was going to be a, a, you know, an economic tra- transformation for the Northern Territory. For a while, house prices in Darwin were the most expensive in Australia. If you go there, you'll see there's all these new apartment towers that were built in anticipation of all the new people that were going to come to Darwin. And then beginning you know, sort of early last year or a bit before that, construction phase finished. So you had 8,000 people moving out again and all that investment suddenly going away and all these people left with their investment properties that they'd bought at the height of the boom that were now worth 40 50% less negative equity rents are, are spiraling down as well a lot of empty properties lots of you know the middle of the city is lots of empty shops so they they're left in a worse situation than they were before the invest the, the investment uh, happened which is why things like renewable energy which I know we'll, we'll get onto you know you have a lot more smaller developments, uh, and you really break that boom-bust cycle. That, so is that, that these plant in- like the ones off Gladstone, um, liquefaction plants and term- export terminals? Correct, yeah. yeah. So this one's for Japan. It's called um, it's Impex plant for mm-hmm. exporting gas to Japan. So then let's get on to this. Let's, let, let's hear what BZE is doing about it. Yeah, so, so I'm in Darwin last year, and all of this is, is going on, and, and obviously I've you know, been involved with BZE for many, many years, and I'm on the board of... BZE, and I, I just couldn't help but think back to um, plan for Port Augusta back in 2012. Repairing where, Port Augusta. Correct, yeah. Where it was a Which similar situation. Which the South Australian government took up Hollis Bolus, didn't it, in exactly. 2016? Yeah. So in 2012, Port Augusta was a town that was facing economic uncertainty. They didn't know where the jobs were coming from. The big coal power station in town was, was shutting down. And BZE put together a plan called Repowering Port Augusta that showed that if Port Augusta embraced renewables – you know, which in 2012 was even a more radical thing to say than today, mm. then you know, there were great opportunities for the town. And we went there and we communicated it and a, a grassroots community campaign sprung up around it. And like you say, that, that's been taken up by the community and, and the state government over there. So now there's, the Port Augusta has more jobs in renewables than they ever had in coal. And we've broken that, that cycle of dependency on coal. So thinking about that, I thought that's, you know, that's a fantastic paradigm for the Northern Territory. It's a bigger place, but, you know, BZE's got, got experience now. We've got runs on the board. Why don't we come up with an alternative economic plan for the Northern Territory that would show that if they embrace renewables, and the Northern Territory is, you know, the sunny, one of the sunniest places in the world, has the best solar resource in the world, what could that do, you know, not just about replacing the electrons in the, in the current electricity grid, but how could that actually transform the economy? What would, what would the opportunities be? So BZE raised funding 
for that and we partnered with the Environment Centre NT and we started working, working on that plan, looking around. And luckily, the recent work, the most recent big report by BZD was electrifying industry and you know that really showed that if Australian industry electrified and ran off renewables, we'd be world competitive because of our abundance of, of renewable energy. So how do we take that concept of a huge amount of renewable energy available in the Northern Territory and all the work we'd recently done on electrifying industry and turn that into a, a new paradigm of thinking about how you could run the Northern Territory economy. So what are the challenges then in developing the renewable sector in the Northern Territory? Yeah, so Northern Territory, I think that they're less than 4% renewables yeah. at the moment. There's yeah, it's been very, very little renewable development up there. Um, it's the sunniest spot in Australia and the least developed in terms of renewable. Correct, yeah. And energy. obviously there are unique challenges up there. You know, there's mm. a, it's a tropical environment. You've got wet season and dry season, so you need to find be careful with your placement. Um, in the top end in particular, you have cyclones, so you need to make sure that when you're installing in, in renewable solar in particular, you know, you, you need to reinforce the, 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 the bracings and make sure that they, they're cyclone-proof. Um, I like the point you were making before the show, Ayrton, about that, that any infrastructure faces those challenges up there and it hasn't stopped mining or gas Correct. infrastructure. Yeah, that's a really great point. So that the, there are a number of unique challenges up there and that, you know, they're engineering challenges and they can be pretty easily overcome. But I did find, yeah, when, when talking about our plan, you know, people would talk about these challenges and yeah i'd be like well we're talking about building massive gas infrastructure pipelines pumping stations all this sort of stuff around everywhere and no one ever brings that up as an issue it's only when you start talking about renewables that the nitpicking of um of issues starts up yeah so it's all definitely definitely surmountable but i think that the bigger issue is just a gap in in imagination and you know you kind of need to see some of this stuff happening so and you know, as, as you say that's a really significant thing what was the res- and that was a, a gap that was overcome in port augusta by that grassroots movement springing up mm-hmm. around it how were these ideas being received around darwin and other places in the northern territory as you were talking to people yeah so the, um, the big part of the plan, I guess I'll talk about a few of the ideas and then we can un- you'll understand the response there. So what, what building out a huge amount of renewables does in the Northern Territory means that you have access to you know, some of the cheapest excess electricity in the world. And at the moment, the Northern Territory, is the economy is very dependent on, on mining. And what happens is that stuff gets dug up out of the ground and then it gets exported in its raw state and gets processed somewhere else overseas. We were talking with Professor Roscano about that just last week. Yeah, and the vast majority of the profits are in that processing stage because that's where you're creating an, a, the, the item of value. And the Northern Territory, you know, the, these mines are distributed around the Northern Territory and, yeah, often in remote areas. So what part of the idea of this plan is with that excess of, of renewable electricity, you'd be able to set up the processing at the point of the mine. And then rather than just exporting the raw materials, you're exporting the process material that you've processed with cheap renewable electricity. So not only then are you pro- exporting a process material, which obviously has a much higher export value and is bringing much more uh, stimulus to the economy, but you're also exporting embedded Renewable energy, energy. You're, you're exporting renewable energy. So rather than, than it being processed with coal power overseas, you're processing it with renewable power in Australia. So there's a double benefit there. It's almost, it's almost negative emissions in a way. Um, because and you're it's very close to the uh, Southeast Asia market. 
Yeah, correct. In, and, in and, you know, Darwin, there's a, there's a port in Darwin yeah. where all this stuff goes to. So all, all of that infrastructure is set up. And costs and emissions are going to go down as well, presumably. It's lower-volume transport. Correct. Lower volume, yeah. And then you're talking about the mines themselves, which often, you know, you've got a – these are diesel-powered operations. Often diesel's very expensive. You've got to transport it out there. So another one of the things we look at in the report is solar mining, so where the, the mines themselves – Electrify and that that mining process becomes an electrified process. So you're able to run the mines a lot more. And some of them started to do that, haven't they? I've heard of a couple that some have, yeah. But you know, again, it's not. It's there are some I think in the industry that kind of get it, but you know, I'd say overall, it's not particularly an industry that that mm. um, is particularly imaginative in, in that stuff. And sometimes you know, you kind of need to need to show. And, the, and there if, would be big <clears throat> challenges in electrifying some of that enormous mining equipment too. Yeah, that's right. But you know, there's 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 Definitely things you can do, and there's definitely um, that movement, you know, if you talk about the general trend in the world of mining, and we, and we do cover that in the report. If you've just tuned in, we're talking to Aiton Linko, BZE Chair, and we're talking about the Northern Territory fracking issue and the solutions that BZE's found to this. Talking about the mines, what about electric vehicles in the mines? Is that an option? Yeah, I think that's that's becoming more and more available but also if you think about the transport of materials away <laughs> from the mines and just in electric vehicles electric in general trucks, i mean northern Ter- yeah there's yeah all, yeah all of that electrified transport options but also part of this plan which we haven't t- quite talked about with a huge amount of excess electricity obviously hydrogen mm. production is another key part so you know whether those transport vehicles are, are powered by hydrogen yeah. Or electricity directly, whichever no. way that, that industry goes, either way they'll have a local supply of that material. It should be a lot cheaper than importing diesel at the moment. So the, you must be talking about a very big vision in terms of the, the amount of renewable energy that's being you're, you're suggesting is being produced if you're talking about hydrogen because that in itself requires a fair bit of electricity. Power. Yeah, that's right. So the current grid in Northern Territory is, is one gigawatt and it's almost completely gas-powered. And we're talking about building out 10 gigawatts of so renewable energy. So 1,000% on what the Northern Territory has now. Correct. Mm-hmm. Because Great. that 1,000% allows for the electrified manufacturing, it allows for hydrogen generation, it allows for um, electric vehicles... Um, and, you know, it would be distributed around the Northern Territory. What, what's interesting about the Northern Territory is that 25% of the population live in, in remote communities that are pretty dependent on diesel generators, um, and that's very expensive to truck that diesel out to those communities. So that's such a, such a low-hanging fruit. You could replace that, those generators with solar and batteries now at and, a, and at a much lower And this is known as the 10-gigawatt vision, isn't it? Correct. Yeah. It's the 10-gigawatt yeah. vision. Well, you, you nicely that in... To the hydrogen thing, we um, again, we were talking to Professor Roscano. He's very strong on that um, and just last week and pointing out the advantages of using our renewable energy abundance to create hydrogen, um, being able to export that hydrogen as green hydrogen, not coloured green, it's just <laughs> green yeah. hydrogen. Um, and also he was mentioning using the hydrogen for processing things like steel, using it as the reduction agent in steel production rather than carbon. So you'd have zero carbon steel. Yep. Um, and that sounds a really exciting prospect. I, I don't know why we're not doing it already. Um, Ross also mentioned that region, um, regions that mine minerals such as zinc, gold and bauxite have an opportunity to process the minerals using renewable energy. Um, 
do, do you see those possibilities? That, that's that's coming back to what you were just talking yeah, about. Yeah, so, so that, I mean that's that's the central part of this plan. That you know, that's that's a huge opportunity. And you know, we were talking a bit before about what what some of the challenges are. And I guess the challenge in Northern Territory is just getting that virtuous cycle started. You know, when you don't have many renewables and you want to build electrified manufacturing. You know, you don't want to do that until the renewables in place. But you know, you don't want to mm. build the renewables <laughs> without having the the Catch manufacturing in place. So, you know, one of our recommendations in the report is that that's a great spot for government to step in to actually do that matching between the people that want to build the the utility, utility scale renewables and the people that want to consume that electricity. So, you know, in, in things like re- renewable manufacturing. Yeah, in terms of of hydrogen and the opportunities there, I mean, we all know that Japan has a green hydrogen strategy, and that's what that's at the moment the way they're looking to power their economy. And and in fact, know, I understand that our prime minister was talking to Japan's prime minister and saying that Australia wants to provide all the hydrogen for the twenty twenty Olympic Games in Japan. Yeah, great, exactly. So, and Northern Territory has a great relationship with with Japan, so that. LNP plant that was built up there it was financed by Japan. It, it's a, you know it, it supplies Japan with its, with its LNG. The Japanese Prime Minister was up in in Darwin just last year, so there is a great opportunity there for Darwin to be that centre of green hydrogen, so or lift, Northern Territory, I should yeah. say. Lifting our eyes for a moment up from Northern Territory to our nation as a whole, and with your position and and insights and knowledge as chair of the BZD board. Do you think it's feasible for Australia to not just go to 100% renewables, but say three to 500%, and and doing all these great things of exporting embodied energy and so on? Yeah, I, I mean, I don't just think that it's feasible. It's clearly feasible. I mean, BZE showed that 100% was feasible back in 2010, and we've seen how how um, the costs of renewable energy have fallen since then. So I don't just think it's feasible. I think it's it's the only way forward for our economy. I mean, we're at a point the climate emergency where humans have to make a decision. Do we want to survive as a species? I mean, we're, talk- we're literally talking about the, the Earth not being able to support organised civilization. So, And that's gonna- from the American military. It's not just yeah, from, yeah. from Yeah, no, this is all well that. understood, exactly. <laughs> this is not some, that's not some crazy statement. So we're going to have to make a choice pretty, pretty soon. And, you know, Endless either way, it, it's a bit of a lose-lose situation for the fossil fuel industry because either we keep going on the same track and human civilization ends, and that's probably not great for anyone in the fossil fuel industry, or we decide that we, we're going to do something about it. And we're going to find that the demand for fossil fuels kind of falls off a cliff. Gas is a very expensive fossil fuel. So the problem for the Northern Territory is that they're really building their whole economy around gas and, and gas infrastructure. I mean, that's a crazy thing to do at the end of the, of the gas boom. And similarly with, with um, coal, mining, coal mining regions, I mean, coal is already at the point where it's clear to see how that's going to decline. So for Australia to say we're going to base our economy on the export of fossil fuels, uh, I mean, that's a really uh, – you couldn't pick a higher-risk strategy, you know, yeah. where we are an incredibly lucky country. It's just amazing what the luck that, that Australia has that we happen to have the best renewable resource in the world, and that is the literally source of energy that the world is going to need. The one thing, I mean, solving the climate climate crisis is pretty actually pretty straightforward. The solution is we need to electrify everything, and we need to power it all with renewables. And Australia's got the best renewable resource in the world, so we're in the box seat to really take advantage of this. So, yeah, if we get moving, so we've talked about electrifying the the mines and the processes. Um, you mentioned in passing the distributed communities up there and the indigenous communities. 
What's involved in electrifying those with renewables? Yeah, well, a lot of those communities aren't, aren't particularly big, but they do have a particular geographic situation in terms of you know, wet season and dry season and, and a lot of rain in wet season. So, you know, there needs to be careful kind of placement of where you put that renewable energy. But basically, it's it's pretty much a solar plus battery kind of solution with maybe some backup there for, for times where, you know, the, the sun might not be shining for a few days in a row, row. And luckily, they've already got their diesel generators there on site. So worst case scenario, if you need to keep a bit of a store of diesel and turn them back on for a couple of days, then mm. that's fine. It's an efficient use. Aidan, one of the issues about the recent election results was to do with regional voters not feeling heard. BZE actually has has a plan around this issue too, don't they? Can you Correct. So this this kind of work is is really the future direction for BZE. I mean, we've cut we've 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 completed most of the sector reports. You know, we've covered all the different sectors of the economy. So now it's around bringing that all together and putting them onto a region. So the Northern Territory is the first of these reports, and we've already had an amazing response. You know, when I was up there last year, I've been presenting this at a high level to the Chief Minister, to many ministers, to community groups and community forums, um, at seminars, and the, the hunger that there is in, in the community for a vision like this to show, you know, everyone knows mm. deep down that Very these true. fossil fuel jobs are going and that they're in trouble. Yeah. And, you know, you can f- kind of fight against that a little bit, but that's just the reality. So when you actually present a, a, a really well-researched and viable alternative that show where the jobs are going to come from. And, you know, BZD shows that in this Northern Territory report, there's 8,000 jobs, you know, very conservatively estimated. Um, 8,000, that. that's a good number, isn't it? Yeah, uh, way more than one, you know, frankly, yeah. we're talking about a couple yeah. of hundred. So, you know, you can make that case. And then you, the, the commu- with a great outreach campaign that's that's powered by the grassroots, you can really get a community on board. We saw that in Port Augusta. So looking at the election, we can see in Queensland there's a lot of fear about what's going to happen to the to the coal industry and particularly up there. So that's something that the movement and BZE um, should be focusing on. So you know how do we what how do we show those communities that there is an alternative? Those alternatives have good, well paid jobs, um, and that's a future that they can be asking for. We've got to stop just saying stop things, and we've got to say what we actually want instead. And BZE is re- producing a number of regionals reports and plans all around Australia. Correct. So we've got the Northern Territory one. This is going to be launched June 20 at Parliament, hosted by the Minister for Renewables um, up in in, in, in Darwin. Total buy-in. Total buy-in. And then next we've got Collie in Western Australia and then we're going to be looking at the the Hunter Valley. So, yeah. Where can listeners find out more? Well, they can obviously look at the BZE website and there'll be official announcements about the launch that come through that. Thanks, Aitan. We've been speaking to Aitan Lenko technology entrepreneur and chair of the BZE board. The Beyond Zero show is brought to you by the Climate Solutions Think Tank Beyond Zero Emissions and is recorded in the studios of 3CR Melbourne and syndicated around Australia on the Community Radio Network. Previous episodes of the show are available on iTunes and Stitcher. And as I said at the top, please subscribe and help others find the show. If you enjoy the program, we do have costs. Most of the work, including ours, and 95% of the work at BZE is volunteer. So our upcoming fundraiser is next month. Please save up a few dollars and contribute. Every little bit helps. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll talk to you again next week. Beyond Zero Emissions is an internationally recognised climate solutions think tank that is focused on solutions, not problems. Become part of the solution by becoming a monthly base load supporter. Go to www.bze.org.au to find out more. bze.org.au
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.